morning. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here. And uh, as Gavin said, you guys, we got to look forward to Thanksgiving week, y'all. We, is anybody else excited about Thanksgiving? Only two people like to eat in here. That's so excited. The rest of you guys started your diets early. I love Thanksgiving. It's one of maybe my favorite days of the entire year for so many reasons. And um, one of them is just the food. Can we? I just love Thanksgiving. There's pies and turkey and like mashed potatoes and gravy and stuffing, and it is just awesome. I feel like God forgives just our gluttony on that day in a special way. He just lets that one go. I love it, Thanksgiving that um, there's like football on. Anybody else love football? I love football for like 12 hours all weekend. It's amazing. It's like starts Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, it just keeps going. Just amazing. So fun to stay up until 2 a.m. and watch reruns on ESPN. Love Thanksgiving. Also love Thanksgiving, if you're a wise veteran, you understand to, and you begin to appreciate the little things. Like that oversized pair of jeans that you have in the back of the closet, if you are a wise individual, you will find them this week and bust them out for Thanksgiving, okay? Because by the end of the day, if you've eaten well, you want to be able to fill those jeans up, okay? You want it to feel a little tight. Thanksgiving is not a day for your skinny jeans. It's just not. It's not a day for that. You find your stretchy pants, you find your big boned jeans. That's what it is, okay? That's the spot for it. That's a lot funnier than you gave me credit for, by the way. You just really didn't connect. In my mind, it went better than that. Um, but today, I don't want to just talk about Thanksgiving as it, as it pertains to our culture um, or our, our traditions. I want to talk about Thanksgiving in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about how Christians' lives can be marked with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving to God for who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. And I want to look at scripture um, to inform us and help give life to this. And so one of the scriptures I was studying is 1 um, Thessalonians chapter 5. I mean, you don't need to turn there yet, but, but one of the things that's just said is that we can give thanks in all seasons. Give thanks in every season, which I don't know about you guys, but I got crazy seasons in my life i got some seasons where it's really easy to thank God and some seasons where it seems like it's a hot mess and I don't know how, in my right mind, in my nature, I could thank God for that season, right? Our seasons in life change, but Scripture says we need to be a people who are marked with thanksgiving in all seasons. Well, how's that? How can Scripture call us to that level of thanksgiving and gratitude? Well, then I remember Ephesians 1, verse 3, says that in Christ you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Let me remind us what that looks like. That means that we no longer have to interact with God as orphan spiritual children trying to impress. Instead, we get to know our Heavenly Father as Abba, Father. Amen? That means that we no longer have to try to prove our righteousness to God, but we by faith have a righteousness that is perfect. It means that us in this room, we no longer have to hide our sin and our shame because we are hidden in Christ Jesus. It means when you feel powerless and weak, and broken, then we get to run to the Holy Spirit that is inside us, the very power of God that he's placed in our hearts. Christians, if you look at the scriptures, there are so many reasons for us to rejoice. Amen? We've got a spiritual inheritance coming to us. Listen, there's going to be a day here on earth where we're going to wish for death. Our bodies are groaning and getting older. You might not feel it yet, but man, the, the scriptures tell us that there's an inheritance on the other side of eternity that we get to enjoy the presence of God for all of eternity. That is awesome. Amen? So I just look at our text, I look at the scriptures, and I just say, man, God, you've given us a reason to rejoice. But like Gavin said, 
Man, we can become this spiritual um, amnesia. Is that the word, amnesia? Is that what it is? I don't know, you forget stuff. You need medication for it. I don't know, something. You can forget it. I think that one of the things that, that, that allows me to drift from gratefulness for God is just that I forget the gospel. I forget the good news of Jesus Christ. I forget what he's done for me. I forget what he said about me, and I start making life about me. One of the things um, I'm learning, and I need to confess to our church, is that I'm realizing, I'm realizing that thankfulness towards God and a pride towards self can't coexist. Let me state it like this. I can't believe that God is a gift to me and at the same time think that I'm a gift to God. Do you see the difference here? So really, there's only two heart postures in my life. One is I will either be a man who's thankful for God, thankful for his goodness, thankful for his faithfulness, thankful for his redemptive work, or I'm going to be a man that thinks God should be thankful for me and my goodness and my faithfulness and my religious works. See, the first heart posture is rooted in God's internal goodness, and the second heart posture is just really rooted in my attempt to be more than I really am. The hard thing is, is that I am really awesome at convincing myself I'm awesome. You know? Like, I really can tell myself, like, I am, I'm honestly not the worst dad, you know? I know my kid's got some issues and loves to run around naked still, but you know what? Some kids are more jacked up than mine, all right? So I'm not the worst out there. And really, like, I know I got some issues. Sometimes I swear on stage, and I need to work on that. By God's grace, I'm asking him to do that. But there's some worse ones out there, okay? All right, I'm not the worst one out there. I'm, pro- I'm really a gift to my church. And you know what? You know, to my wife, oh, my goodness, she's so blessed to have me. I'm not a perfect husband, but, man, she could, be lo- she could be married to some real losers out there. You know, I mean, if she just knew what she had in me, I'm just like, you see what I'm doing, though? All of a sudden, I'm a blessing to everybody, and I'm a blessing to God instead of me seeing God as a blessing to me, right? I'm so good. I'm so awesome. God is so, he should be thankful that I'm on the team instead of me saying, oh, God, who are you that you would be mindful of me? Two different heart postures. See how that happens? So quickly, we convince ourselves that we're awesome and worthy of praise, and we forget to praise the one that's actually worthy of him. Amen? And I don't know about you guys, that's the internal wrestle that I so often go back and forth on. And so today what I want to do is I don't want to just say, I don't want to give a moralistic talk and say, okay, you know what? Bad people don't thank God. Good people thank God. And so let's be good people who thank God. But instead, I think there's a different route to get there. I think what I want to do is I want us to open up the scriptures and I want to look at Jesus. And what I want to do is if we can ground ourselves in the word of God and the nature of God, the character of God, and we can be honest about who we are before him and honest about who he is, What's going to happen is there's going to be a spirit of gratitude that happens and it is bearing fruit in our lives as we root ourselves in the gospel. Do you see how we get there? This isn't a moralistic talk. Don't do this. Do do this. But instead, as we discover Jesus Christ and how he's been good to us, the right heart posture is going to come inside of us. Amen? So as we remember Jesus, we'll get to gratitude. So let's look at Christ today. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. This is really a story of a group of people who rightly saw their need for Jesus But only one of them is going to respond to Jesus' generosity in their life. We're really going to see three chapters of this story. Open your Bibles if you got them today. Luke chapter 17. We're going to be grounded here. There's really three parts of this story. There's going to be a request made to Jesus. Jesus is going to um, give a gift. There's going to be a gift that's received. And then there's going to be a response to God's grace. So there's going to be a request. There's going to be something received. And there's going to be a response. And so... 
um, today. Those are kind of my points or my outlines. Basically, it's going to feel like a Bible study. We're just going to mine these verses and walk through them one by one and just pull out application as we go. So um, chapter 17, verse 11. Let's start by reading 11 through 13 together. On the way to Jerusalem, he, this is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The first thing we notice in verse 11 is that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. If you look back to Luke chapter 9, verse or 51, it says that Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. Jesus had a ministry of healing the sick, feeding the hungry, preaching and teaching, but his ultimate mission was to atone or pay for our sins. Do you guys remember Jesus' mission statement? He said, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. So from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19, Jesus is simply traveling to Jerusalem where he'll be tried and executed. So Jesus is on basically... An earthly death march. He's in the final months of his life. And on this traveling journey, we find out that he has this interaction with these ten lepers. Now, let me talk to you about these lepers. They're coming to Jesus. You see his request. They come with a request. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Basically, they're saying, would you heal me? I'm sick. I need to be healed. These guys had probably heard about Jesus' power and what he's done in other areas and regions, and they realized he was a guy that was capable of healing them. So he's coming to them with a request. Now, to understand the depth of their quest and understand really what's going on here, we need to understand these guys, the desperation of their situation. To be a leper was to have leprosy, which was a real disease that affected the skin and nervous system. It, it, it was a nasty disease. It, it meant that you could lose all feeling, um, man, man, your hair would fall out, your, your skin could be filled with scales and boils. I have some visuals today. I'm joking. That would be really awkward. It's not going to be helpful. Um, but it, w- it was just a nasty disease. And um, part, part, some of leprosy was contagious, okay? So some, some viruses or parts of it were contagious. And what happens is um, because it was contagious, there was a rule or a law that we find in Leviticus 13 and 14 that says that you had to stay outside of the camp. You had to be outside of the city. You couldn't be in society. So these lepers were isolated to the outsets of community, only allowed to really be in community with those who were sick like themselves. They were reduced to begging for food and money on the side of the road. And in verse uh, Uh, 12 you're going to see that they stood at a distance these men stood at a distance from jesus and this was because again in leviticus chapter 13 god gives instructions to those who have leprosy and he says if you have leprosy because it's contagious not only do you have to stay outside of camp but you got to keep your distance from people and if anybody if you get close to people or anybody gets close to you you got to shout out unclean 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 because you don't want anybody to get near to you near to you and get sick can you just imagine Standing up around people, if they try to move towards you and just saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. That is not a posture of dignity worth. That that is a place of shame and weakness. That's a nightmare. These people, this disease had, had, had just taken everything from them. I can't imagine the last time they got to hug their kids, hold their wife's hand, have the dignity of working a good job and going to bed tired, had the joy of worshiping God in a local temple, Man, this disease had stripped everything from them. Their life was taken from them. 
And can you imagine being in this community, by the way, hanging out with just sick, miserable, hopeless people? I don't like to be around Gavin unless he has eight hours of sleep and and three cups of coffee. I can't imagine being in this. This is a depressing place, not a happy place. This is not a great place. And so these men, they don't have a ton of hope or prospects for their future. They're either going to remain sick in this camp or they're going to have an, um, an interaction with Jesus that would change their lives. And so when Jesus walks by, look at verse 13. What's their response? It says, they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I, want to, I just want to highlight that word, lifted up their voices, which means they weren't ashamed. They understood how desperate they were for God to work in their life. They understood they needed a hope bigger than themselves. And so they looked to Jesus boldly. They wanted to make sure that Jesus saw them. Now, the question is, Jesus is on a mission. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. He's in a region kind of around Samaria, And so the question now becomes, would Jesus show these needy, weak people who come to him with requests mercy? Would he heal them? Would he look upon them and love them? Would he speak to them? Would he acknowledge them? Would he work in their life? Look with me at verse 14 at at what Jesus does here. It says, and when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were cleansed. Here Jesus gives one command, right? Go show yourself to the priest, which makes us ask, why didn't he just say, go ahead and be healed? Why does he make them go to the priest? Well, again, Leviticus 13 and 14, God gives some instructions to the Old Testament priests. And he basically, the instruction was, for these folks that had leprosy, for them to be right back into society, for them to be declared not unclean, but clean, they had to go present themselves to the priest. The priest would then inspect them, see if there were still signs of disease and sickness. And if there wasn't, then they would be reinstated into their family and communities and their local congregations. This is amazing. He's saying, basically, would you take a step of faith? Would you start walking? Start heading towards the priest and see what I will do in your life. So these men believed God, believed Jesus could actually heal them. They started walking on their way to go see a priest. They risked looking like fools, showing up still sick. And yet it says, as they took that walk of faith, what happens? They were cleansed. They obeyed Jesus. Jesus said, go. They went. They were cleansed. And by the way, I think that's maybe one of the most understated words of the entire, like this entire story. Like if you understand their context, these folks were walking. Can you imagine hanging out with your nine friends? You're looking at them. These folks had lost all their hair, maybe lost fingers. This disease has marred their body and you're looking at them and all of a sudden they got their hair back and their nose back and their fingers back and their skin looks healthy again. What would have happened? I would have been freaking out. I'd be like, dude, look at your face. It's amazing. Oh my goodness, you got hair? I'm praying the Lord would bring. I mean, you know, I'm just like, it's amazing. We would be so excited, ecstatic, pumped up. People would be hashtagging if there was Twitter. Hashtag healed. Hashtag I'm coming up. Hashtag started at the bottom and now look at me. You know what I mean? It's like, hashtag about to get my Christian Mingo profile. I mean, it's just the whole thing. We would have been very, 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 very excited. And I just love Jesus because he looks at these people who were powerless and broken. And what does he do? He heals. He shows mercy. He allows his power to be displayed. And see, I think one of the questions we got to ask when we look at this question is, do we actually believe that Jesus Christ is powerful? That he can work in their life the way that he worked in their life, that he can work in our life. Do we believe that Jesus still heals? I do. 
I believe that there's been a power put on display with every salvation story in our church. With every baptism, we've prayed and seen healings. Jesus is not some weak, feeble little poodle you put in your purse and you drag around to the mall. He's not. You've got an emasculated, unbiblical Jesus. Our Jesus is powerful. So I look at this scripture and I say, God, thank you. Thank you for showing us and reminding us that you are powerful and you are powerfully working our lives. Amen? Now, um, one of the interesting things here is that I don't think the most shocking part of this story is that Jesus healed these people. But what is maybe the climax of the story is how, uh, how these individuals respond to Jesus' work. So let me show you this in verse 15 and 16. Then one of them, after he had been cleansed, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. There's something beautiful about this man's response to the grace of Jesus Christ, isn't there? He just can't wait to be back with Jesus and tell Jesus thank you. Before I highlight all the things that I think need to be celebrated in this one man's life that comes back to Jesus and says thank you, I want us to notice how the Bible identifies him. You notice at the end of 16, it says this random line that doesn't seem to fit. Now, he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. So here's what we know about this guy. We don't know his name. We don't know his story. But we know that he was a Samaritan. And if you were in the original context, you wouldn't just overlook that little detail because that, that is like a little name drop that just adds a whole bunch of beauty and depth to this story. And here's why. The Samaritans were not part of God's chosen people. They were not the spiritual elite. They were not the spiritual all-stars. They were despised by God's covenant people, the Jewish people. They were despised by the religious leaders. They were seen as people that had broke God's rules by intermarrying with others. They, had, they were seen of lower moral standing. And so this man is the worst of the worst. He's a leper on the outside of camp who'd given his life to begging and being sick, and he was a Samaritan from the wrong spiritual lineage, from the wrong place, from the wrong family, with the wrong background. Everything is wrong here. But what's shocking is Jesus would move towards this man. Jewish, Jewish people disliked the Samaritans so much that oftentimes they would avoid traveling through the region. They would extend their travel time when they're moving towards Jerusalem by literally trying to walk around the entire area because they didn't want to intermix with the Samaritans. That's the level of hatred. It's like, I'm just going to drive all the way around Colorado. I hate it so much. You know what I mean? It's just like, really? I'm not even, why would you do that? Because I'm angry. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the posture. That's the level of frustration and hate here. But this is our Jesus, isn't it? This is our Jesus who flips the kingdom upside down, who loves the unlovable, who saves the undeserving, who puts himself next to the one you would never expect to put himself to, or for him to put himself next to. The Samaritan is showing that Jesus is not just for the safe, the pretty, the cute, the clean, the religious, the churched. Jesus has always been coming after the marginalized, the outcast, the sick, the morally messy, and the broken. So if you're here today and you think that Jesus isn't looking for a person like you because you've got a messy past, because you've had the abortion, you've been divorced, you've struggled with the addiction, I want you to see Jesus Christ as he is in our text today. Jesus is loving the unexpected and the undeserving. Would we as a church not buy into this narrative that God is looking for the cleaned up and the pretty? 
I hope that he gets us holy. I hope that he changes us and transforms us into more of his likeness. But I want you to know that Jesus cares about the Samaritan, the outcast, and the, and the marginalized. Look at where Jesus is at. He's right next to this folk. And that just gives me great hope because I see myself as a Samaritan. Wrong family, broken past, made a lot of mistakes, leper on the outside, but Jesus has made me insider by faith in him. Amen? He's shown me grace in an undeserving way, and I'm profoundly thankful for that. So see this and see that he was a Samaritan and understand that God's grace extends in boundless ways. Now, um, not only do I want to see kind of the cultural context here, but I want to just celebrate this dude. Like, he gets some stuff right. Can we just look at this guy's life and say, okay, he's going to respond to Jesus' generosity in some really cool ways, and I want to highlight that with the rest of our time. The first thing is that this dude was just straight grateful for what Jesus has done. He can't help but move back towards Jesus with the spirit of praise. Um, you look at this, and he literally changes directions, right? He's walking towards the priest, moving away from Jesus, realized that Jesus had healed him, and what does he do? Flips the script, heads back to Jesus and says, I got to get around this dude who just healed me. I know that I can go get my life back and I can go see my family and my friends and my community and I can finally be an insider. I can finally eat a hot meal. I can finally hold my head up without a sense of shame. But that's all going to wait because I got to get back to Jesus and say, thank you. This man was grateful for what God had done. It wasn't a religious burden. It wasn't out of duty. This was a... um, a spiritual moment, organic moment where he was filled with a, a spirit of gratitude. Have you ever been there? Just saying, God, you are so good. You've been so kind, so patient. That's where this guy's at right now. Secondly, I want us to notice how he praises Jesus. One of the cool things in verse 15, it says that he did it with a loud voice. A loud voice. Let me read this. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. Come on, Christians, y'all better wake up and get with me. Now, what's so powerful about this story is that he starts out crying out to Jesus loudly for mercy. Mercy. Jesus, would you show me mercy? And yet here he's loudly, loudly praising Jesus Christ for the mercy he had received. You see the connection? This is amazing. I love it when we rejoice about Jesus. I love when we fill this place with exalting Jesus and worshiping Jesus and our hands are held high and we're excited about Jesus. Listen, we are some Midwesterners that can be a little bit reserved, okay? We come in here and we kind of look like we're almost like a little bit disappointed in Jesus. Like, okay, that's cool. You got the music. It's neat. Y'all are doing some things up there. But you know, this dude is loud. He's pumped. He's fired up. He's not ashamed of Christ. He's not too cool for God. He's allowing what Jesus has done for him to actually express itself through his words and his posture. Amen? Listen, I'm not saying we all got to jump up and down and be crazy, but could we just at least sing a little bit? You know? Maybe make a little bit of noise, clap, kind of maybe give a little hip swivel or something. Just get something going. Just let me know you're excited about Jesus somehow, y'all, okay? Now, I understand this is probably reserved for me and Gavin and the pastors. Only a couple of us do that. But that's, that's not. I'm just saying we can all do it. I'm just saying we can take it to the next level. Amen? We can do it loudly. Doesn't mean that you're a spiritual all-star. Just means that we are thankful for God's grace, and it's reflective in how we worship him. That's what's happening here. Now, one of the things here is he doesn't just do it loudly, but then his posture change. In verse 16, look at where this guy's at. This kind of hopped off the page for me. It says, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He fell on his face. 
He's at the very feet of Jesus. And again, there's this contrast in this text where at the very beginning of the story, where's this guy at? He's standing at a distance. Unclean, unclean, unclean. By God's grace, now he's at the feet of Jesus and he's been made clean. Oh, that's the gospel. So awesome. So I look at this man and I see the humility that he's living with. Man, you don't get down at another man's feet and boast about how awesome you are, right? Let me just tell you why I'm awesome. No, he's boasting and he's celebrating Jesus. That's the praise on his lips. And he's realizing that Jesus is the hero of the story, that he didn't make himself well by walking with his buddies, but that Jesus Christ made him well, okay? So look at me. Again, I need to make this connection to here and now, to us. Remember when I talked about, like, you cannot be both a prideful, self-centered person and a thanksgiving person, a grateful person. They just can't exist. Prideful people are going to thank themselves. Humble people are going to thank God for who he is and what he's done. It's that simple. This man had experienced the profound grace of God. He realized there was no credit to himself. It was all due to Jesus' working in his life, and he understands that Jesus is the one worthy of the praise. There's just a simple wisdom in thanking the one that's worthy to be thanked. He lives this out rightly. So Jesus, he's at the feet of Jesus. He's thanking Jesus. He's, he's blessing the name of Jesus. And, and City Light, can I just make a personal application? Can I ask you, in your times with Jesus, are you grateful for him? Are you grateful? Do you ever just tell him thank you? Like really thank you for saving me and sustaining me. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for working in my life. Thank you for this local church. Thank you for your written inspired word. Thank you for the spirit you put inside me. Thank you, God. Do we just say thank you? Are we quick to praise his holy name and give him the gratitude and the praise that he's worthy of? Or are we kind of like spoiled kids at the mall always just saying, give me a little bit more? You know, nobody wants to be that kid. I pray that we would be a people who would rightly understand what Christ has done for us and be a people that humbly praise him. Now, I think this has some application to our church. One of the fun things is our church is on the receiving end of God's mercy and grace, amen? God has done some crazy fun things, and I rejoice in that. This thing has been really fun. By God's grace, our church is growing. We got a whole bunch of people getting baptized. New people are meeting Jesus. Some of you guys are like, a little bit older than me and you don't know what a hashtag is, but you come up to me and you're like, man, God is working in my life in fresh ways. I'm falling in love with the word of God in fresh ways. Jesus is doing things in fresh ways. And it's just fun. This church is just really in a season of life, momentum, and multiplication. God is answering our prayer, City Light. We get to plant churches. City Light Benson got planted. They're off the ground preaching the gospel. We get to plant City Light Council Bluffs. It's awesome. God is moving, but I want us to say we are those people who have received mercy, and one of the temptations that I just want us to be aware of is, is I just know my heart and the human heart can start to take credit for what God has done, right? So I just want us to, just to acknowledge the fact that when people ask us, you know, what's going on at City Light? What's the culture at City Light? Why are they growing? We don't say, you know what? Our kids' ministry is so awesome, and our music ministry is so great, and they got donuts, um, so that's a win, and... I think people are coming because, like, they have the best-looking, balding pastor in town. I mean, I don't—if you say that, I'm, just tweet it. It'd make me feel good. Anyways, but, um, but I'm saying no, right? Like, we don't want to be that church that's witnessed the mercy of God, the power of God, and start to take credit for it. 
You see what I'm saying? We might become a big church, but I always want us to remain a low and humble church, giving the right thanksgiving and gratitude towards God because he's the one writing the story. He's the one saving, speaking, and sanctifying. It's all by his power, his work. And so church, let's always say Jesus Christ is the hero of our story. Jesus Christ is the hero of this story. And we are just grateful to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Now, um, the last thing I want to show us is in verse uh, 19, the story ends with not just this man um, receiving a physical healing, but he receives eternal life. Um, basically, Jesus comes to this guy and he says, um, where's the other nine? Where's your, where's your buddies? Why are you the only one that showed up? You're a foreigner. You're the one I didn't even expect to show up. And yet you're here thanking me. Where's the other guys? And um, look at what Jesus says to him. He says, your faith has made you well. Verse 19 which in its original language says, really, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Um, if you notice kind of the interaction between this man and how he views Jesus, it says he's thanking God at the very feet of Jesus. This guy realizes that Jesus isn't just a healer that came into town. He realizes that Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the redeemer. He's the Messiah. He's the one that has come to give life. And so Jesus recognizes this faith in this man and says, your faith has made you well. It wasn't his spirit of gratitude or his thanksgiving that saved him. It was his faith that saved him. And City Light, this is, this is the great gift of the gospel. It's not just that we get a few gifts on this side of eternity, like a physical healing and some Christian friends. Those are great. Chase that praise up to the gift giver. Don't settle for just the gift. But the great joy of the gospel is that we get Jesus Christ and salvation in his name. That's the gift, that we've been reconciled to God. That there's peace with God, that we've been adopted in the family, that we've been engrafted into the covenant people. That's the great gift of God. We get God. It's a blessing. Your circumstances are going to change, but God's character is not, and our position in him is secure, and so we always have an opportunity to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the gift of the gospel. City Light, um, I always want to end by just making this personal. You guys know. Um, this isn't just theology to me. This isn't just me and Gavin getting together and brainstorming on some ideas we can say and reading some books. We internalize this and ask God to make this real to us. And so this week, I wanted to close this sermon down by just reminding you and sharing with you areas that I keep coming back to in my life. And I just say, God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. You know, I've been walking with Jesus almost 15 years and I can start to look back at his faithfulness. And I just keep saying, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. So here's some areas of my life that I'm just thankful that God has done some stuff. And as I do this, I pray that you would just be remembering in your own heart, okay, this is some stuff in my life I'm grateful for. I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus tracked me down when I was hurting, angry, and frustrated with him as an 18-year-old college student. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ ran me down by his grace. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't run from me, but that he chose me even though I didn't look like the cool kid. And I, I was not the religious kid, the spiritual kid, the Bible kid, the church kid. I was running after sin, and yet Jesus ran me down by his grace, and I can't imagine my life without him. Can't imagine where I'd be without him. Second part is that I'm grateful that Jesus Christ has taken my shame and called me out of addiction and hiding. Jesus not only saved me, but he's made me holy. He's made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. I came to Christ with an addiction, with a struggle with lust and sexual sin, and didn't just go away overnight. But by God's grace and his power, he's shaped me more and more into his image. And there's a spirit of victory and freedom in my life. I'm no longer a slave to sexual sin. God said, I am holy, be holy. 
And Jesus, by his powerful grace, is setting me apart and making me holy. It's a gift. If you've ever experienced the bondage of sin and you've ever been set free by his grace, you understand what I'm talking about. I'm thankful that Jesus has allowed me to forgive my father for abandoning me and our family when I was a kid. I grew up angry and bitter at my father. Everything was his fault. Our family struggled financially. It was messy, but I blame my dad. Never know my dad, never met my dad, but I was enslaved with anger towards my dad. His sin had made me a slave to bitterness in my own heart. And what the gospel did, it said, Chris, you are a co-sinner just like your dad. You've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Let me empower you to forgive him in the same way that you've been forgiven. And I've been set free from that bondage and that slavery. I'm also thankful that I grew up as a son without a father, and now I get the incredible joy of being a father to my son. Oh, it's a great privilege. My son is still trying to figure out how to wear pants in public spaces. I could take him to Target. The dude runs around the toy aisle. By the time I get there, he's got his pants off. He's running up and down naked. I just say, hey, you got to stop acting like your mom. You got to kid. I don't know what's going on. You got to cut this out. I don't know what she's doing, but you got to quit it. The joke is just so good. I just love that. I can go to that every time. But um, I just, I'm profoundly thankful to be a father. Um, you know, I get to be the first link in the chain. And I'm praying that Haruska men would be known more for just conforming to this world and they would be known for a holiness and a set-apartness that is, is for the glory of God. Yeah. That my son would see a redeemed version of masculinity in our home and that I would be a Roma to Christ to my kid. That he would see a picture of his heavenly father when he looks at me. And I'm going to mess it up and I'm going to jack it up and I'm going to pass on some baggage, but I'm going to be there. Because the heavenly father said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so for as long as I'm on this earth, I'm committed to my kid. And I'm going to be praying that Jesus Christ would raise that kid up for his glory, that Jesus would pour my son's life out and his strength out for his glory. Man, I want to see a redeemed version of the Haruska family. And I get to be that first link in the chain. It's a privilege. Can I just tell you how much fun it is to be doing that in the local church? I'm a dude trying to figure out how to be a dad. I don't have a dad. (laughs) Where else are you going to figure out how to be a spiritual father other than the local church? I've had spiritual men that have become spiritual fathers in my life in this local church, and I want to say thank you for those of you that have done that. They've stood in the gap in my life. They've shown me a picture of masculinity that is redeemed, that's not soft and weak, but that is strong but also servant-minded. Hadn't seen a picture of that. Grateful for what Christ has done and the way he's used you. I also get to steal all of good Gavin's parenting tips. I love, I love it. I love it that I'm around a whole bunch of guys trying to figure out what it looks like to be fathers in this season and to be godly leaders in their home get to learn from their mistakes. It's awesome. Just thank you. Yeah. Like, can't duct tape people. Anyways, it's just a whole thing. I just, joking. But it's really a blessing, you know? This local church has been awesome. I want to thank you guys. I want to thank God for you guys. I want you guys to know that I'm, re- I'm so grateful for this little local church. I'm grateful for you guys. One of the things I'm thankful for is just how patient you guys have been with me. Like, some of you guys have been here since the very beginning at City Light. You guys remember we were back in the chapel. Some of you guys don't know. Google it. We were back there. It was me and Gavin, a few of you. We didn't know which way this thing was going to go. I had my resume up on CareerLink, thinking about selling Kias overseas. I mean, or in Council Bluffs. I just was like, I don't know what I'm going to do if this thing doesn't go in the right direction, okay? But man, 
here's where I was at. Gavin knew how to preach. Gavin's a crazy good preacher, okay? I'm just going to just, we know we like to bag on each other, but I love my brother, and he's a gifted teacher of God's word, and you can say amen to that, and that's okay. Now, um, I'm so glad you understand that. Uh, anyways, um, so at the beginning, though, he was really awesome, and I was really, really, really bad. And so um, it was uncomfortable for all of us, okay? I'd be up here preaching, so nervous, just like, uh, today's God word, uh, what it says is, uh, it was bad. It was like an awkward first date that just wouldn't end. It was just so uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for you. It was uncomfortable for me. Nobody was excited about it. And yet, here's what I'm grateful for. I'm so grateful for you guys. You guys have been so patient with me to grow. You've been encouraging to me. I just literally said inappropriate things, and you'd be like, it's okay, buddy. Next week, you'll get them. You know, I mean, it's just like so, so gracious, so gracious, so patient. I'm thankful for Gavin, who could have put me on the bench and said, hey, buddy, I got this one. You know, I mean, he would have been right in his leadership to do that, but he's let me um, grow with the church, and I'm thankful for the way you've invested in me and been a brother to me. And so I'm just grateful for this church in so many ways, so thankful for your faith, your reliance on Jesus, um, your love for Christ and his word, um, the aroma of Christ that you've been to me, the way that you've spurred me on. Um, We feel, I know Gavin and I feel it's a profound privilege to be a part of this local church. We love you. We thank God for you. Paul, if you go back in his writings to um, all of the different churches he had been a part of, he says, I thank God for you, and I would echo those prayers. And church, I want to pray for our church that we would always be a church that says, Jesus, we are profoundly grateful people because we've asked for your mercy and received your mercy. Amen? Jesus Christ is the hero. This week, as we go out and celebrate Thanksgiving and hang out with family and friends, would our Thanksgiving be rooted in Christ? Let me pray. Jesus, I just want to say thank you. We need to praise you today because we are people who've been encouraged by your church, who've been sharpened and fed by your word, who've been pushed along by the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. God, we're a people with a story, and you've shown us mercy, and we've been on the receiving end of your grace. And so, God, would you help us to remember today all that you've done, all that you've promised, all that you've given us, that we're adopted kids in your family, that you love us even though we're unlovable, that, God, you've forgiven us past, present, and future. You've given us a righteousness, not that is our own, but that is Christ. God, we could go on and on, but we are a grateful people. And, God, Today, as we gather, would we be reminded of all that you've done, and would you fan into flame a spirit of gratitude and worship and affection for yourself in our hearts? We want you to become greater. We want to become less. We want to be like the one who came back, sat at your feet, and just said, thank you. So God, would you do that in our lives today? In Jesus' name, amen.